Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, we'll be looking this morning at verses 7 through 16. I have said this a number of times over the past few weeks, sometimes in our prayer time. I think it's come out a couple of times in a sermon, usually not planned. It's just, it's on my heart and I'm feeling it. And because of that, uh, I think you've heard me say this recently, but as I think about our text this morning, I'm thinking about it even more. And the truth is, uh, our world feels very fragile right now. It feels very fragile. I think if COVID taught us anything, it's, it's amazing how one virus and the way in which our nation handles that virus the dramatic effect that can have on a nation. It's incredible, isn't it? One virus. And another one could come and, and another one could come in a way that's out of our control. It is amazing how that has affected us in the last few years. The situation in Ukraine has not only broken our hearts and, and grieved us, but it also is a good reminder to us that we are one bad decision away from a world war. It feels really fragile, doesn't it? Feels like we're kind of tiptoeing, not exactly sure how to respond and, and what to do. Our economy feels fragile. I think one of the most amazing things to me over the past few weeks as I've been thinking about the situation in Ukraine is how a country like ours on the other side of the world can shut down another nation's economy. That's an amazing thought. And other nations can do that to us. And the truth is, our nation is fragile, and our safety is fragile, and our economy is fragile, and even more so, you're fragile and I'm fragile. We're fragile people. I mean, one diagnosis this week can change everything. One accident this week can, can change everything. One word can change everything. Isn't that amazing how one word Spoken by someone, maybe one harmful word can not only just affect our day, but can stay in our minds throughout our lives and can change the course of our lives with one word. When I think about how fragile life is, I think about James 4 that says this, you say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, a mist. Our plans are a mist, our health is a mist, our finances are a mist, our relationships are a mist. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Just wanted to bless you, encourage you, I know life's hard. Hope you feel better. No, but it's true, isn't it? It's true. And we need to think about it. God has called us to think about it. God reminds us to, to think about these things. This is the reason that maybe the most powerful and wealthiest man who has ever lived wrote an entire book that is recorded for us and called Ecclesiastes to simply remind us, I've had it all and it's just vanity. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't fulfill you. It, it doesn't change you. And so all of the things that you're seeking, he had. All of the things you might want, he had. And at the end of it all, he looks at us and says, it's just vanity of, of vanities. The pursuit of those things does not fulfill you. 
Maybe this is why Jesus, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't build your life on sand. Because if you build your life on a foundation which is made of sand, the rain is going to come, and the wind is going to come, and the storm is going to come, and your life is going to topple over. It's going to happen. He says, but there's a better way. You could build your life up on a rock. Now listen, the rain still comes. The wind still blows, the the storm still comes, and there may be moments in which we feel like we're doing this, but the difference is the life that is built upon a rock does not crumble. And it's not just a story, it's life. I mean, this is our life. All we have is this, like we've got this, we've got this moment, we've got this life, this is all we have. And Jesus makes it very clear, if you choose to build this life, Upon a sandy foundation, at some point now or later, it's going to all fall apart. That's a promise. But if you build it upon something that is solid and and something that is stable and something that is unchanging and unshakable, then you can live with the confidence that if you lose everything the world has to offer, your life is still intact Your future is certain and there is good that awaits you for all of eternity. That's good news. But we must think about these things because it really, really matters. I'm really grateful for the text that God has given us this morning, not only at the place in which it exists in the book of Hebrews, but the place in which it exists in our lives right now at this moment. Because it reminds us that In the midst of so many things that are fragile, in our own lives that are fragile, there is something solid, something unbreakable. There are some unchanging realities. We have them, church, but we must know them. Listen, not only must we know them, it's one thing to come into a place like this and agree and amen and say, I know that. We must choose moment by moment to build our lives upon some unchanging realities. And they're here. So if you're there in Hebrews chapter 13, say amen. Listen, starting in verse seven. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good For the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. There are within this text 
some unchanging realities that I'm going to tell you this morning in hopes that this would be the beginning of a conversation. This might be the beginning of some decisions. It might be the beginning of some thoughts that you might take these things we share briefly and think carefully about how you, no matter how old you are, are going to build your life up on these. The first one is this. We have an unchanging word. We have an unchanging word. That's in verse seven. I love the, the three verbs that are mentioned here in verse seven. I, I would encourage you to circle them if, if you can. It says, remember, that's the first one, your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. The second one, consider the outcome of their way of life. And third, imitate their faith. Remember, consider, and imitate. The remember there is pointing to the fact that the only reason that this little church filled with Hebrews who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the only reason that we have this book this morning to which we're studying is because at some point someone heard the word of God and someone believed it. And then someone heard the call to share that word and they really were convinced that Every single person who has ever lived is a sinner separated from God. And that sin brings brokenness into our lives. And the more we walk in sin, the more broken our lives get. This is a fact. But there is a way for our lives to be brought back together piece by piece, moment by moment. And that's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we choose to acknowledge our sins, to call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, will you save me? As we do that, God does save us and then begins to change us and put us back together. So someone heard that, believed it, and then realized that they needed to share it. And so they went to this little group of Hebrews and they took this book, they, they took the word of God and they begin to explain it and then they left and then they wrote this letter to Hebrews of Hebrews and they shared the word. And as a result, now, because of sharing the word of God, a church exists. And people are growing, and people are learning, and, and people are changing. And so, what he's saying here is, remember the people that did that. Remember the people that believed, and remember the people that came, and remember the people that shared the word of God with you. But don't just remember them, it says, consider them. Consider them, that, that's a word that we've... Seen a couple of times in the book of Hebrews. Consider Jesus, we talked about. It means to ponder something. To think carefully about something. And so it says to consider the outcome of their lives. Now, the reason he's saying this is because these people not only brought the word, they brought a life shaped by the word. And so when we step into someone's life, What's significant is not only are we communicating to them the very word of God, but Lord willing, we are giving to them a little picture in our life of a life formed by the word of God. Not perfectly, but a life that is being formed by God's word. And what happened is they didn't just send a message, they came in physical form because that's what Christ's people do because that's what Christ did. He comes in the flesh and he shows himself to his people. And so it is God's people then take the word of God and they show up in flesh and they not only preach, but they show here's a life slowly but surely being formed by the word of God. And they did that. And so he says, consider them and consider the fact that they were a life well-lived. The outcome of their life was good. 
Their life was fruitful. Their life was helpful. Their life matters. Why? Because it was a life grounded in the unchanging word of God. And then it says this, imitate them. Like follow their example. In other words, think back to how they lived then when you saw them and live that way now. Because no matter how much time is passed, if someone believes and lives the word of God, their life is always worth imitating. This is why we looked at Hebrews chapter 11 and we looked at these saints in the Old Testament and we saw in the way in which these people followed the Lord with great dysfunction, with a lot of problems, but very slowly just took one step after another and followed the Lord Jesus Christ and they're worth imitating. Why? Not because they were so in tune with their culture, it's because they were so in tune with God and his word. And someone can be very relative to us in the sense that they're, they're relevant because they understand the times and they just look relevant. But the reality is the most relevant person is a person who bases their life on an unchanging word. That's how a life matters. That's how a life endures until the end. And so here's a group of people that had based their life upon the unchanging word. Has it ever just been amazing to you that we gather every single week to, to open a book that's a thousand, a couple of thousand years old, and, and we very carefully look at this book of Hebrews written 2,000 years ago, and it's just as relevant today as it was then. It matters just as much today as it did then. The word that we need is the same word that we, they needed. Why? Because people haven't changed that much and God's word has not changed. Because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. And the reality is a life that is worth imitating is a life based upon the word of God. So he says, these people brought to you the word and they lived the word among you. So look at them and, and imitate them. Here's what I love about this for our specific context. It is rare in, in the day in which we live to have a church that looks like this. Meaning there are a large number of college students and high school students and children in the room. And a lot of you who are a little bit more seasoned. You're welcome. It's the family of God. It's a beautiful thing, but what happens is because of music styles and lighting preferences and smoke machines or no smoke machines, we end up creating churches filled with young people and churches with old people. But our desire, because we value the family of God, is to keep the lights up so we can see each other and I can see you, and then to do church in such a way that the family of God is gathered. And so I want to say something to those of you more seasoned saints this morning. Here's what I want you to know. If you have lived your life on the word of God, and if you have learned throughout the years to trust and follow Jesus, you are more relevant to this church and this generation than you ever have been before. You are more relevant than you ever have been before. You were not relevant in your 20s and 30s because you didn't know anything. You thought you did, you didn't, you don't. None of y'all don't know anything. They do. 
It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And listen, we live in a generation in which we're taking older people and saying, well, they don't have anything to offer and, and there's no relevance here. And what the church is saying is we need this older generation more than we've ever needed them before. And they're more relevant than they ever have been before. So I wanted to say this to you. If you're a little bit older and someone invites you to lunch today because they want to get to know you, that means they think you're old. I'm just telling you, that's it. Like if someone walks up to you and say, I'd like to get to know you. Well, you're old. It also means you're relevant. It also means we need you. It also means that we're committed to valuing you in this community. Because listen, the longer you live a life founded upon the word of God and imitating the word of God, the more you live a life worth imitating. Because we have an unchanging word. Now, if you base your life upon a thousand other things, you will be increasingly irrelevant. And so we know the word, we stand upon the word, we memorize the word, we give our lives to this book because it is an unchanging word. Not only do we have an unchanging word, we have an unchanging savior. We have an unchanging savior. It's our second unchanging reality, and that's in verse 8. You see, the reason we're confident that this word is unchanging is because we have an unchanging God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so this is, we believe that this is the word of God. Because of that, God is unchanging, therefore his word is unchanging. And I love the fact that it says he is the same. <laughs> He never changes. He is always consistent. He is never moody. And his character doesn't change. And listen, the way he feels about you doesn't change. And so if you are his child and yesterday was a bad day and you made some bad decisions yesterday, well, I'm here to tell you that when you are faithless, he is faithful. And he loves you this morning just as much as he loved you yesterday morning. And he's just as committed to you now as he was then. And sin wants to make you hide and walk in shame, but the reality is he is the same, which means he feels the same about you, and he himself is the same. And it says he is the same, yes, yesterday. Now, I think by yesterday, he means these days for us. Not only the days in which Christ spoke the world into existence, but these days, these, these yesterdays. And so you say, well, why does the Old Testament matter? Well, because he's the same in the Old Testament. That's why it matters. You're talking about a generation that wants to discount the Old Testament. You can't know the character of God nor understand the New Testament unless you see the same God as he was in the Old Testament. He's the same. And he's the same not only yesterday, he's the same today. So what that means is the God who is delivering yesterday is the God who can deliver today. The God who is saving yesterday is the God who can save today. The God who sustained his saints yesterday is the God who can sustain you today. What you need today, you have confidence you can receive today because the God of yesterday has shown us that he takes care of the needs of his people. And he will be the same tomorrow. His kingdom will never end. And so the reason God tells you to just worry about today is because he gives you grace today for what you need. And you know what? Tomorrow, the same God is gonna give you the same grace for tomorrow. Because that's what he's always been doing. He is the same yesterday, today, and, and tomorrow. And the beautiful news is this. Listen to this. 
If you base your life upon Jesus Christ, because he is the rock, if you choose to trust and follow him and say, this is going to be my life, Christ will be my life, then you're going to be okay yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You're gonna be all right. You're gonna be all right. Because you have given your life to one who is the same. And so you can be confident that, he, confident that he will sustain you. And so you trust and follow Jesus. You center your life upon him. He is an unchanging savior. We have an unchanging word. We have an unchanging savior. We also have an unchanging grace. It's the third one. We have an unchanging grace. So it says in verse nine, which this makes sense in the context. Do not be led astray or led away by diverse and strange teachings. So meaning, meaning the reality is, is that every generation has new teachings and every generation has new ways and new thoughts on how we're to do the same old things. And what he's saying is this, the word of God is relevant. The word of God is sufficient. Jesus is relevant. We base our life upon him. Everything else is sand. He is the rock. And so just be careful that you're not always carried away by every new wind of doctrine or every new idea that might come your way. Don't be led astray by those things. And it seems to me that there's something going on in the church, and I don't know exactly what it is, but in this church, having to do with food. So it says, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So I don't know exactly the context and it doesn't essentially really matter, but what does matter is this. It seems that within the church, there's some debate, probably because there was converted Jews primarily in the church that we're starting to hear that these food regulations matters. And if you wanted to receive the grace of God and, and if you wanted to really experience God, you better eat this and not eat this and this. And what he's saying is don't be deceived by those things. Food has never sustained anyone spiritually in that way. And it's not food with us, but it's, it's always something. And it's funny, I, I, was, I was studying this text and remember a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, I, I talked about the policeman coming. So I, I'm sitting here and out, out of my left, I saw the policeman come. But this week I looked to my right and there's four shelves of books on the church. It's just interesting to think about how there's one book up here that when I was in college, everyone was reading that book and no one had ever thought of this before. And that was the way to do church. And you know what? No one buys that book anymore. And the reason is, is because when I was in seminary, a new one came out and every church decided to go this direction because no one had ever thought of this before. And this was the way to do church. And you know what? No one reads that book anymore. You know why? Because a couple of months ago, a new one came out and everybody's reading it. And everybody that's ever existed before was always wrong. And this guy's right. And he's finally figured it out. And everybody's saying, well, that's, that's the way to go. That's the way to do church. And the reality is every generation has those but every generation thinks that they discovered something no one else has discovered. And what they realize is that we're all sustained the same way we've always been sustained. We've grown the way we've always grown. God's blessed the way he's always blessed by grace. Look what he says. I, I, I am captured by the beauty of this phrase. Please get this. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. What it means is that our hearts are fragile. 
And we are fragile, so how do we strengthen our hearts in a fragile world? How do we get courage in a fragile world? How how do we keep going in a fragile world? And the answer is grace, grace. Barry, I'm, I'm thinking about you the day in which my wife was diagnosed with stage four cancer and Barry St. Clair over here called me whose wife had died of cancer and he gave me one verse, John 1, 16, and he says this, out of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. What did he mean? He meant that you're gonna get the grace you need today and you're gonna get it tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. So just be sustained by grace. And this is what he's talking about. There is a grace that saves us. It is the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ and we are saved not by our own works. We're saved by grace. You cannot save yourself. There's no amount of works that can save you. You're saved by grace. But do you realize after you're saved, you're also sustained by grace every moment of the day? And that grace he's talking about is simply the the good gifts of the Lord as God gives himself to us, as God blesses us, as everything we need, every moment is coming from the gracious heart of God. And, and, and an older generation used to use this phrase. We don't use it much anymore, but we should. It's a phrase called the means of grace. What that means is how do we receive all of the gifts of God? And so we know that God has given us everything for life and godliness. All of the blessings in the heavenly place are ours. Well, how do we, how do we get access to all of those things that are ours? And it's the means of grace. What that means is that God has always given us certain ways in which we draw near to him and he gives his grace to us. Not saving grace, his sustaining grace. And the means have always been the same. It's the corporate worship of the people of God. It's the word of God. It's prayer, it's fasting, it's giving, it's fellowship, it's mission, it's worship, it's community. It's always been the same means of grace. So what that means is that When every generation has their new ideas of how to walk with Jesus and it's revolutionary and no one's ever thought about it before, someone has thought about it. And it's faded, just like the grass and just like the flowers. But the primary means by which we experience the grace of God in his word through the corporate gathering of people, through the church of Jesus Christ is always the same and there will never be better ways than those. And so we stick to the old paths. We we stick to the old ways, the primary ways in which we experience the fullness of God. That's what he's saying is it is good for our heart to be strengthened. We need to be strengthened. How is your heart strengthened today? Well, right now by the word of God and in the morning by the word of God and through prayer and fellowship with the saints. And that's exactly why it says there in verse 12 that Jesus has suffered and shed his blood to sanctify, to make whole, to make right his people, sustaining them by his grace. There's no secrets, there's the old ways. So we have an unchanging grace, but last of all, We have an unchanging call, an unchanging word, an unchanging savior, an unchanging grace, and an unchanging call. That's the last verses, verses 13 through 16. So it really says to us, what is it that God is calling us to do? Like, what what is the call of God upon our lives? It seems to get confusing, but let me try to simplify these things for you. What is God's call? And then we get some very confusing verses. Look at this in verse 10 and following. It says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. 
And then verse 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. I have never seen that verse on anybody's like Bible memory system, ever. Never seen it. That's a strange verse. What it's saying is this, listen carefully here. It's talking about Leviticus 16, which I know I don't need to tell you. I know you already know what's in Leviticus 16, but I'm gonna sure remind you. In the Old Testament, God had provided a means for our sins to be forgiven, all of it temporary, pointing us to the coming sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But it matters because by understanding that, we can understand and appreciate Jesus. And so the blood of an animal was shed and through the shedding of blood, there was forgiveness of sins. But then after the blood was shed, that animal was taken outside of the city and it was there burned. And that was a picture of Jesus Christ. It was a picture that someday blood is gonna be shed and it is gonna go outside of the city and there's gonna be sacrifice made for our sins. And that is exactly why it says in the next verse that Jesus too was taken outside of the gate in order to sanctify his people. What it means is this, is that Jesus was taken outside of the gates of Jerusalem to Golgotha and there he bore the shame and received the weight of the wrath of God so that we might be forgiven. And the more we understand the beautiful pictures of the Old Testament, the more we appreciate Jesus taken outside of the gate to bear the weight and the shame to be sacrificed for our sins. But then it says this, therefore, verse 13, you see that? Let us go to him outside of the camp and let us bear the reproach that he endured. What it's saying is this, that as we choose to trust and follow Jesus, we follow him outside of the gate. Not to bear our sins because he has bore our sins, not to receive the wrath of God, but because he has received the wrath of God. But we walk outside of the gate because in order to follow Jesus, we must take upon ourselves the suffering and the sacrifice and the shame that he endured. And the point of this is that it is a call for us to leave the safety of our lives and be willing to sacrifice for Jesus Christ. To leave the safety inside the gates. Listen, to leave the safety inside this room and to be willing to go outside of the gates, the place in which we might be shamed for Jesus Christ, the place in which we might suffer for Jesus Christ and there be willing to follow Jesus. And the call of God, the unchanging call of God is to follow Jesus is to go out from our old way of life and the place of safety and follow him and endure the cost. And that has always been the call of God upon our lives, to follow him wherever he may take us. And the reason we're willing to do that, look, verse 14, because here we have no lasting city. If you build your life on this, it's sand, it's gonna crumble. We saw a couple of weeks ago, everything in the world is gonna be shaken. This world will be shaken. It will all be destroyed. Only the kingdom will last. So what do we do? We seek a city that is to come. We follow him, we sacrifice for him because we believe that even if it costs us everything, what we get in return is better and lasting. And the things we give up to follow Jesus are sand. Jesus is the rock. So the call is a call to follow Jesus. The other part of the call is a call to declare Jesus. This is this unchanging call of God to follow Jesus and to declare Jesus. Look at verse 15. Through him then let us continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. 
The call of Jesus is that the praise of God might come from our lips. Now, look real, look real quickly here at me. So what we're talking about is basing our lives on the word of God, feasting upon the word of God, uh, standing on the rock of, of Jesus Christ, the being sustained by grace moment by moment. So keep knowing we need the Lord and we come to him. And what happens is this. So we begin to develop roots. This is the reason our life matters because we have deep roots from the word of God. Some of you older saints have deep roots. Why? Because, because you read the word and you based your life on the word. And so we're developing these roots and we're continuing to develop them through the sustaining grace of God. And here's what happens. The result is to be then that the fruit of that comes out of our mouth in praise to God. That's how it's supposed to work. So as those who know the Lord and have walked with the Lord and trust the Lord, we're developing these roots and the response is then to not only follow Jesus, but Psalm 96, to declare him to the nations, to make him known the fruit of our lips. You can't have fruit without roots. So this is not fake. This is the genuine love of Jesus Christ an awareness of the grace of God and the goodness of God that is now coming from our mouths as we declare him because we know him and love him and enjoy him and we think he's worth it. And that's always been the call of God, to follow him, to declare him, and last, to display him. That's verse 16. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I don't need to say much about this because we spent time on this last week when we talked about the fact that we must, as the people of God, choose to sacrifice and to love and to be kind and to give grace and to visit those in prison and just do good things. And listen, I don't know, I was talking to some guys about this this week. I don't know what happened, but I, in the Protestant Reformation, we learned by God's grace, we rediscovered the truth of the gospel, which is, you are saved by grace through faith. Can't save yourself, no amount of good works. So it is by trusting in the grace of what Christ has already done for you, you're saved. But somehow we got the idea that after we're saved, works still don't matter. And so your works are worthless to Jesus before you come to know him. They won't get you anywhere with him. But when you come to Jesus Christ, we by the work of our spirit infused wills choose to do good. We choose to step into the lives of hurting people. It's not just that as I walk with Jesus, all this good stuff is just gonna flow through me without doing anything. No, I see a need, I meet a need. I step into a need. I choose to love, I choose to sacrifice, I choose to serve, we choose to do good. So it's saying, as I have chosen to follow Jesus Christ and as I am being full of him and the praise is coming from my mouth, I also display him by doing good things. Now listen to me, I, I just wanna make sure we don't complicate this this morning because this really is quite simple. I think a lot about 2 Corinthians eleven three. listen to what Paul said. He said, I'm afraid, and I feel this for you, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, everything we've talked about is quite simple. We have two choices. You can choose to build your life upon a thousand other things, but it's sand and at some point your life will crumble. 
Or you can choose to build your life upon the person of Jesus Christ, his word, constantly be sustained by his grace and then allowing the fruit of that to be declared and displayed as you follow Jesus Christ. That's a life that matters. And the way in which you build that life is you build it today and you build it tomorrow and you build it tonight when you choose to walk with the Lord and you choose to say no to sin and you choose to open the word of God. This is just how you build a life. Very simple. Day by day, moment by moment, believing that Jesus and his word and his ways matter more than anything else and making the decision to follow him. Living a life that matters in this life and the life to come. A life worth imitating. A life that is always useful and helpful to others. Let me tell you why this matters so much. Because in this fragile world, filled with a fragile generation, listen to me, we don't need fragile Christians. People are very fragile. Do you know that? We live in a fragile generation. You, you, you can't almost say anything. People are so fragile. We don't need fragile Christians. There's too much at stake. There's too many fragile people that need something solid. So you don't need to be so easily offended. You don't need to get your feelings hurt. You don't need to be so easily discouraged. You don't need to be so easily defeated. You don't need to so easily give up on the church or give up on your marriage or give up on your moral purity. We need believers who are confident in the word of God who will be courageous and stand in the midst of a fragile generation. We need a generation of people who believe that the same God of the Old Testament that delivered his people is the same God who will deliver someone this morning. The same God who healed in the New Testament is the same God that can heal this morning. The same God that sustains, the same God that saves is the same God that exists this morning and he is in this room. And so you can be saved today and and you can be sustained today. You can be healed today because it's the same God And we believe in him and we believe he's real and we call upon you to give your life to Jesus Christ, to draw near to Jesus Christ, to build your life upon that so you'll be solid and unbreakable because you've given your life to unbreakable realities. And can we be the church of solid Christians in a fragile world? May it be so. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.